Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joined with us over at Appleton and Stevens Point. And let's recite together Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us on this Easter Sunday morning, even though it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Good morning again to our campuses over in Stevens Point and Appleton. Hope that you're having a wonderful service. Uh, today, I want to take a look at the uh, account of the resurrection as recorded by Luke in his gospel, chapter 24. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. What are they talking about? Uh, very traditional that when you bury someone uh, in this culture at this time, they would prepare the body with certain spices and stuff like that. They didn't have time to do it because Jesus died on Friday late in the afternoon. Uh, the sun is getting ready to set. They're in a panic because the Sabbath starts the day in Jewish tradition, actually according to the Old Testament, uh, doesn't start in the morning. It starts at night. When the sun goes down, that's the beginning of the first day, of the next day. So as soon as the sun goes down on Friday, then it's Saturday. And Saturday is their Sabbath. And they would take it very, very seriously. You can't do much of anything on their Sabbath. Very restrictive. Uh, very, <laughs> I think at the point, a little, a little over the top, oppressive. Certainly was in Jesus' day. Jesus would intentionally do things to irritate the uh, religious leaders by doing things on Saturday on the Sabbath that they didn't like. But he said, guys, this wasn't supposed to become an oppressive thing. It's supposed to be a day of rest. All right, you've turned it into some big oppressive complicated thing with all your rules and restrictions. It was just another reason that they were so irritated by Jesus' teaching. Uh, anyway, so um, the, uh, the, the sun's getting ready to set, not too far away. So that's why they go over, if you read the account of the crucifixion, they go and break the legs of the two uh, guys on either side of Jesus so that they would hurry up and die. Which, good news for them in a sense, because crucifixion was a very slow death. And the longer they could drag it out, the happier they were, the Romans. I mean, it was brutal. So in their favor was, this is Friday afternoon, so before they can get to the Sabbath, they got to break their legs so that they would collapse and suffocate and uh, die. They came to Jesus. They were going to break Jesus' legs as well, but when they discovered he had already died. Actually, one of the uh, prophecies in the Old Testament, that when the Messiah died, that not one of his bones would be broken. Very interesting how they could see these things hundreds of years before that happened. So anyway, they get Jesus down off the cross, and they quick hurry him into this tomb and seal the door, because everybody's got to run back 
quick, quick, you can't do anything with the body. There's no time. The Sabbath is coming. And they were very, very intense about the Sabbath. Um, I was just in Israel. They're still intense about the Sabbath. And uh, from our, I mean, they're wonderful people, fabulous and very devout. Uh, some of the things that they do seem a little odd to us. For example, on their Sabbath, you can't even push a button in an elevator. Because that's too much work, apparently, or expression of energy or something like that. So what they do in these buildings is they pre-program the elevators so that they randomly keep stopping at every floor. That's what they do. So you just wait, and eventually it'll stop at your floor, and you get on or go up or down, whatever, stop at every floor until you get to where you want, and then you get out. Uh, so obviously very strange uh, to my worldview, but that's still how strict they are about it. I'm sure if Jesus and his disciples were in an elevator, they'd be pushing buttons everywhere, you know, just ticking people off. But uh, so anyway, so the ladies, very early in the morning, because now the sun goes down Saturday night, it is now Sunday, uh, so they sleep for a while, but they get up early, uh, very early, and they go uh, to the tomb with these spices so they can now finish what they should have done on Friday. So when they got there, they found that the stone was rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, very bright, stood beside them. Now it doesn't say that they walked into the door. It says they just stood beside them suddenly. Now I don't know if you've ever been in a room and you thought you were by yourself. And someone was next to you. You go, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Well, this is what happens. They like, ah, and like to have a heart attack. And it says that in their fright, the women bowed down. Now, oftentimes you think of this in, in sudden reverence. Oh, no, it was, ah, I mean, they collapse. And they hit the dirt, their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He, is, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. And then they quote to him the thing that Jesus had told them many times. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. It's extremely clear. Now, it's very easy to look at this and think the disciples are like complete idiots. Because how many times can you clearly say something to somebody and they not get it? Well, being a pastor, a lot, okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you got to repeat things a lot of times. And on the other hand, they didn't know what he was talking about. They hardly ever understood what he's talking about. And he confused them constantly. And he would speak in these parables. And they don't know what he's talking about. We know what he's talking about now because we have hindsight and We've heard all the teachers about, well, this parable means this and this parable. They didn't know. He's telling all these stories. At times, they were so confused, they'd go to him and say, what are you talking about? Because they didn't know. And at times, Jesus would chastise them. They actually got to the point, the Bible says the disciples were afraid to ask him any questions. You ask him, I ain't asking him nothing, man. He yelled at me last time I said something. So, I mean, they literally got to the point. They just let him talk. They don't know what he's talking about. We talked about Lazarus last week, remember? Jesus said, let's go see Lazarus. And Thomas goes, okay, let's all go die together. <laughs> he didn't say anything about dying. They just never knew what he was talking about or what he was up to. So even though he clearly told them this, 
This is in the context of a cloud of information. They don't know what he's talking about. So he, the angels remind the ladies of these words that Jesus had said. Verse 8 says, well, then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. The eleven apostles. I thought there were twelve. There were. Judas offed himself, remember? So now they're down to eleven. And it wasn't just them. It was also to the other disciples that were there. We don't know how many. It just says the others. My eye just went off. There, just kidding. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others were with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Well, can you imagine? What are you talking about? What do you mean he's not there? What do you mean you guys are glowing like light bulbs? Thing? What are you talking about? They could not grasp it. Peter, though, he got up. He runs to the tomb. He saw the linen strips lying by themselves. Jesus wasn't there. He goes away wondering to himself what had happened. Well, now, two of the guys that were there when the ladies came talking, they decided to go for a walk, rather long walk, seven-mile walk. Now, at that same time, uh, same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened and talking about, you know, what the ladies were talking about. And as they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So now what's happening here? Sometimes people ask the question, well, what's the difference between Jesus being raised from the dead and Lazarus being raised from the dead and the other people Jesus had raised from the dead? And there were a couple of people in the Old Testament that some prophets had raised from the dead. Well, the difference with everybody else, those guys were raised from the dead. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. In other words, those guys, the good news is they were raised from the dead. The bad news is they got to die again. Oh, that's got to stink, right? Dying the first time can't be a party. <laughs> Good news is you wake up, bad news, you're going to go through it again. So, but Jesus, when he gets raised, he's, not raised, he's resurrected. He is now resurrected in a new glorified body. Now, try to explain this a little bit, because a lot of times people don't understand what happens when you die. When you die, you leave your body. And the Bible says that you are present with the Lord, but you're just there your spirit is present with them. You're not really complete. This, we are created originally exactly the, God, the way God wanted us. We were made in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. Just like God. We are little mini trinities walking around. Just like God. In the image of God. For us to leave our bodies is still an incomplete state. That's why the Bible says someday we will all be raised again. Our bodies will all be raised again. Everybody here, everybody everywhere who's ever lived is going to be raised again, just like Jesus' body. And it received this eternal body that now will not die and will now be an eternal body. Of course, there will be those who will be raised to eternal light and those who will be raised to eternal darkness. But they'll all be raised and it'll all be eternal. Nobody dies anymore. And then that's when everyone is in this eternal state. Now, a lot of times people debate about, well, well, what is eternal darkness? You know, what is hell? You know, the other day on the news it said the Pope was talking about hell and had everybody confused. I don't know, I don't know what he said. I, I'm not Catholic. <laughs> I don't care. So anyway, <laughs> I 
not disrespectful. I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. He's just, I'm like, Kelly, what do you want me to say? So, uh, but debating about hell, and people sometimes debate about, well, what is hell? Is it really fire? Is it really this? Is it really, I don't know. Who cares? It sounds bad to me. Seriously, I don't care if hell is just being locked in a room where you have to watch I Love Lucy reruns for eternity. I don't want to be in there. Right? It's like people talk about hell. Like, oh, it's not so bad. Yeah, we can go to hell. You know, who really cares? Like, really? I don't want anything to do with it. So we know there's going to be eternal light and eternal darkness. I want to go up in the light. Praise the Lord. All right? So Jesus comes. Now, this is going to be a physical body. He is a physical body, which we're going to see in just a minute here. Uh, but yet it's glorified. It's an eternal state. He's able to appear, disappear, that kind of stuff like that, which that'll be fun. So anyway, so they're talking with each other. Jesus comes up. They don't recognize him. And Jesus says to these two guys, so uh, what you guys talking about? So you're walking along here. And they stood still, their faces downcast. They're depressed. I mean, these guys are seriously depressed. These men and women, these were not casual religious people. These were seriously devout Christians. These people, for the most part, had left everything. Everything. Many had left their homes, their families, their businesses. I mean, it was a big stinking deal to go follow Jesus around. They truly believed in him, were amazed by his words, saw his miracles, did whatever they could to help advance his cause. They come to Jerusalem. Now he's arrested. He is beaten uh, and crucified. And at any minute, you got to wonder, they were expecting something else to happen. Somehow he's going to break through. Maybe angels were going to come get him off the cross. I mean, all you've seen is nothing but miracles the whole time, right? Well, nothing happens. And he dies. And they put him in this tomb. This is a depressing weekend for them. And uh, one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus says, what things? Well, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This was their hope. They weren't expecting it. Even though he talked about it, they didn't know what he was talking about. They thought this was going to be it, and now he's dead. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They said they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and, and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And then finally Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So now, well, let me read the next one as well. Uh, enter his glory. And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all that was, uh, was in the scripture, all that had been said concerning himself. So what he does now at this moment, he starts going through the scriptures and reminding them, this is what the prophet said. This is what Moses said. This is what David said in the Psalms. The number of prophecies about the life of Jesus is stunning. The mathematical possibility of uh, him fulfilling all of that is virtually impossible. In fact, there's a lot of skeptics who don't believe any of it. 
they think that when the New Testament was written, they just said he did all those things so it would line up with those prophecies, you know, that kind of thing. They just can't comprehend. It's, it's just off the charts. Where he would be born, how he would live, what would happen to him, the kind of things that he would do, how he would suffer, how he would die, uh, talking about it, not a single bone would be broken, how he would be raised again on the third day, all of this. How he, he come riding, as we read last week, uh, on, a, on a donkey into Jerusalem. And these guys, when they were prophesying, saw all these events, bits and pieces of it. And it's recorded over hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, actually. And he goes through it and he starts pointing out, look, this is what they said here. And this is what Moses said there. and stuff like that. So they're listening to all this. Um, so, uh, da, 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 da. my eyes are really <laughs> drifting today. <laughs> I need some coffee. All right, so 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, no, stay with us. Come on, stay here. It's almost nighttime. The day's almost over. So Jesus goes and he stays with them. So when he's at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Who used to do that all the time? Jesus. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Wow, it's him. And then he disappears. <laughs> now these people have never seen a movie, okay? They've never seen special effects. They've never seen anything. And someone to just disappear is a little freaky. So wow, holy stinking cow. You know, he just disappears. And they ask each other, Man, weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Because they knew something different about this guy. Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, which is seven miles away. It's night, but they're pretty jazzed. So they get there and they find the 11 guys and those with them assembled together. And they were saying, hey, you guys, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon Peter. And then those two said what had happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke bread. And they're all talking. They're all excited. And then while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Again, he doesn't walk through the door. He just... <laughs> it's amazing how many times in the Bible an angel or something appears to people and the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Really? How about you just not pop up in the middle of nowhere? So anyway, he pops up. And they were startled and frightened. They were freaking out. They're thinking they see a ghost. Uh, and he said to them, why are you troubled? <laughs> Seriously? Why are you troubled? Why do your doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It's I myself. Touch me. See, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. See, it's a glorified body. He is now, and they could feel him and touch him. He's right there. And then, uh, just to kind of mess with their heads, he says, uh, you guys got anything to eat? <laughs> really? And uh, so, they gave him a, fish of a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So the good news is, we still get to eat. Woo! <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. <laughs> 
I, I presume we don't get fat now, so I don't know. Anyway, so he eats right in front of him, and he says to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so he, again, he starts pointing them back to the scriptures. Remember, this is what they said would happen. This is what I told you would happen. The lights start going on in their heads, and they start piecing it all together. It all starts now to make sense to them. Uh, and he says, uh, the Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So that's what all of this is about. Why did all this happen? Why the birth in a manger? Why the life lived? Why the miracles? Why did he suffer and die and now raised from the dead? Well, we find out why in probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. It says this, for God so loved the world. That's why. Motivated by pure, absolute pure love. God looked at us and loved us that much, which is stunning to me. If I was God, I'd kill us all. <laughs> Starting with me. But he so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is what motivated Jesus. He didn't just come and just wait for people. to. He pursued people. He actively pursued people. He said in Luke, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that, save the lost. He was literally going out of his way to find people and to minister to people, looking, seeking, something we don't really understand today. We're Americans, we don't really like to seek for anything. If we lose anything very long, we just go buy something to replace it. But something really valuable, man, you look and you keep looking. I was with a friend once, him and his new bride, and we're goofing around or whatever, and at some point she flips her hand and her wedding ring flies off her finger and lands in the rocks in the driveway. Well, now we all gotta seek. Looking through all these stupid rocks trying to find this little tiny ring. Eventually we all gave up. But they didn't give up. It's too important to them. Apparently I'm not that good of a friend. <laughs> so see y'all later, man. I'm done, you know. Well, they stayed at it and finally in the morning, early morning, they found it. They found they wouldn't give up. Why? They wanted that ring. It had to be there. They had to move lots of little rocks to find. They were diligently seeking. We don't like to seek today. We're supposed to seek after righteousness. We're supposed to seek the Lord. We're supposed to seek after good things. It takes energy. And again, we don't like to expend much energy. It's like when I talk to single people. You know, the Bible says marriage is about finding somebody. But we're lazy and we don't want to find somebody. We don't want to be inconvenienced. That's why I go to virtually any group of Christian singles in the world and they'll hear stuff like, well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to bring me a husband. What are you, Moses? For heaven's sakes, get off your butt. You got to go find. I don't want to find. I don't like online dating. It's, it's, it's a bunch of creeps on there. Yeah, the good news is they're creeps and you can see that they're creepy. Right? <laughs> it's really not a mystery. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why you're still single. Straight up. 
You gotta go, you gotta look. You just gotta keep looking. It takes energy, it takes effort. It is what it is. Come back, Mark. Come back. Focus. <laughs> the teachers of the law, we read about this in Mark. The teachers of the law who are Pharisees, they're these religious men. They saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Who are these creepy people? What is he doing? You're not supposed to be around these icky people. They got cooties, heebie-jeebies. They didn't have anything to do with people that weren't holy people. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, guys, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's why I'm here. Now, the Bible's very clear. We are not supposed to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. If your closest friends on earth are people not of faith, that's not good for you, okay? God doesn't hate you about it, but, you know, you need to find people of faith that you connect with. Having said that, you can still be and need to be friends with unbelievers. Be nice to them. Reach out. It's hard to win someone to Jesus if you can't win them to yourself, right? Be nice to them. Now, a lot of people, they're good at doing that, but then they never tell them about Jesus. There's a lot of y'all out there. Listen to me right now. Stevens Point, Appleton, all around the internet, on television all over Wisconsin watching me right now. You're Christians and stuff, and you have all kinds of non-Christians friends, and they know you're a nice person. That's all they know. You've never one time shared with them your faith. Don't be that way. We're called to be a light. Jesus said, don't hide your light under a bushel. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. Just look for opportunities to share your faith with them. Because they'll look and say, well, how come you're not like this? And how come you do that? And how can you handle it? The opportunities pop up all the time. But Jesus hung with people that were highly disturbing. I have friends that many of you would find very troubling. <laughs> oh my gosh, you should see some of them. It's so bad. You know, but... Why? Well, you got to love these people. You ever win any? Yeah, that's why I do it. Be nice to them. Hang out with them. Go to dinner with them. You can do that. But don't hide your faith. You know, and try and influence them. But we are not supposed to be secluded off on a hill up here in Green Bay or over in Appleton or Stevens Point. Or, oh, we're holy, you know, we're just too holy. Don't be like that. And sometimes, and I've, you know, some of you will remember these stories, you know, uh, in the early days of the church, at times we would have, uh, <laughs> well, actually it still happens, just nobody gets upset about it anymore. But sometimes people will come to visit church, and they've never been to church in a long time. You know, a lot of people are afraid to go to church. You have no, any people, I have no, no idea how many people I've talked to and said, well, if I come, I'm sure lightning will strike me dead. <laughs> right? Because they know they're bad. They're really, if I go to church, God's likely to kill me. Because their only version of church is God's in there really ticked off. You know, that's why you got to be quiet in church. Shh. It's like when you walk in the house and dad's really mad. Shh. <laughs> God is not mad at you, okay? And you don't have to be quiet in church. All right? So, uh, but anyway, their version of dressing up is like when they go out. So some come in and then they're dressed to kill. And, you know, the, the girls are all over the place. You know what I'm talking about? And, and that's okay. We got to let people, you know what I'm saying? I remember in the early days of the church, some women would complain to me. I don't like those women coming to church like that. My husband stares at them. 
Well, if your husband stares at him, say, look at that fly, and smack him, you know. <laughs> Sit there let him stare at somebody, stop that. Well, I think you should go talk to him and tell him that, no. No. So, well, what if they're hookers? They could be. <laughs> hookers are welcome. <laughs> Amen. I told him I wanted a neon sign in the church. Hookers, welcome. You know I'd do it. The only reason I don't is because it costs too much money. But I, I would do it. If any of you guys want to pay for that, let me know. And I'll, I'll, I'll put that sucker right up there. We're supposed to be actively pursuing people. It's not the, the healthy that need the doctor. It's the sick. It's people who are hurting and damaged and all kinds of crazy things. They need to feel comfortable when they come in here as we share the good news with them. Jesus, when the last week before he's crucified, he's in the religious guy's faces, giving him a hard time. And then all of a sudden he just stops and he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Even when he's getting in their faces, he said, man, you guys, if you would just come if you would just, he's always, always was actively seeking and looking. And now after resurrected from the dead and in heaven, we read in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we hear these words. Jesus, the glorified Christ, says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. He's still actively pursuing people. And he says, if anyone hears my voice, and you see, not everybody hears. A lot of people, they blocked everything out. They've numbed themselves. They keep themselves so distracted they can never stop and hear the voice of God. He says, if you'll just hear my voice, if you can hear it. And if you're here this morning, maybe you don't normally come to church. Maybe you come to church all the time, but you've never really been serious about it. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're visiting at one of our campuses. Maybe you're watching me on television this morning. But if you're hearing, if you'll just be quiet, you will hear. He is pursuing you. He's actively pursuing you. He says, if you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In other words, we will fellowship together. That's an amazing thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, we thank you that not only have you been seeking people all this time, you continue to seek. You are continuing to knock. Lord, I pray for anyone this morning that doesn't know you, that they would stop and be quiet long enough to hear your voice. And as we stop to take communion, maybe this will be a great opportunity for them to open their hearts and to simply open the door so they can experience your wonderful grace. And for this, we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Happy Easter to all of you.